motorsport and motoring radio show. Now on 88.5 FM, the valley comes alive. And podcasting across iTunes and talkandpower.com.au. Alright, welcome to another episode of the Talk and Power podcast, episode 148. And I'm joined with our co-host Simon Gonzo Travellini over there. How are you, Simon? Oh, I'm still uh, yielding a bit of a cough, but uh, I'll manage to. I'll try and get through tonight without uh, destroying everyone's eardrums. <laughs> this podcast was brought to you. We're recording this at the Hen House Studio here in Osmond Park. So thanks to the guys at the Hen House, they look after us, and they're a great, great uh, bunch of guys to work with. Simon. I guess this podcast is a bit of a special episode. It's episode 148, not by number, but I guess what, the, what we want to talk about. Episode 77, and I'll get those people to go back and have a listen to episode 77 at some stage. But episode 77, we started talking about the great EV debate and what we believe is not so much purposely being misled, but we believe that... There are some aspects of the EV movement that are not quite not quite right, and the push towards an EV vehicle is probably not in our best interest right now. I think that we've been talking about this for you know as long as the podcast has existed, and even before that. Ultimately, the goal, as as I understand it, is to save the planet. That's ultimately what the goal is. Um, so, when neither of us are, are climate deniers, mm-hmm. uh, if the science says that the planet's getting hotter, then we're not in a position to argue with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I believe that globally, and this just isn't Australia, but we're going to focus on Australia tonight, globally, uh, we should be implementing what is known as best practices. Mm-hmm. Now, when you look at best practices, you have to do a cost versus uh, return assessment. Yep. So uh, we're being told repeatedly by the media, by politicians, that uh, cars uh, are the problem and that CO2 emissions from cars uh, is essentially what's warming the planet up. And I have not been able to find a shred of evidence. I've approached uh, as far up the ladder as NASA uh, because they run climate.org, which is you know, the definitive climate place to look for information. I've approached our own uh, our own Minister for Climate Change. I've approached the, the, the Climate Council. I've appro- approached the CSIRO, and I've not had a response from anyone. Mm. Uh, I've had some, uh, some heated uh, uh, email debates with some of the scientists at NASA, um, you know, with regard to CO2... In, in the uh, in the spectrum of greenhouse gases, because you know, surprisingly enough, CO two is right down the bottom. Mm. Um, the greenhouse gas that uh, is responsible for well over fifty percent of the greenhouse effect that the globe sees every day is steam. Mm. Um, now, it's interesting that that steam has such a profound influence on you know the the temperature of the globe. Because if we decide to go to hydrogen, now they keep saying hydrogen's a, a renewable. <coughs> hydrogen uh, is manufactured, so 
I'm, I'm not sure. The fact that it turns into water after you burn it uh, and then you can split the water again, you know, that's kind of debatable if that's really a renewable. I mean, it's, it's renewable in the sense that it becomes water and then you can turn it back into hydrogen, but it's not like sunlight where it, it just appears every day, <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean, or yeah. a tree that you plant and it grows into a tree. Um, so, yeah, I mean, hydrogen, when you burn it, you end up with steam. Mm. So we're going to convert from petrol, which gives off carbon dioxide, to, you know, which is right down the bottom. Now, now how much down the bottom? Uh, CO2, the, the next bad boy is uh, methane, mm. uh, which is natural gla- gas. And when you hear about them talking about blue energy, so you've got black energy, which is coal, uh, blue energy, which is natural gas, <coughs> And green energy, which is solar, hydroelectric, etc., uh, they're talking about methane. Methane is thirty times worse than CO two, and steam is an amazing hundred times worse than CO two. So, if we converted all the cars on the planet to run on hydrogen, we would accelerate the greenhouse effect uh, to the point where there would be no salvation for the planet, in my opinion. Mm. Um, now, you know, you're probably wondering. Uh, how can a couple of podcasters like ourselves, on what uh, credibility, what credentials do we have? Well, I grew up in the mining industry and and uh, I got to tour, you know, uh, places like Port Hedland, Tom Price, Kalgoorlie. I got to see what goes on at these mines and I worked in the mining industry for uh, 10 years. My father and my uncle uh, were responsible for opening up the northwest of Australia uh, with an invention uh, that was known as a wire rope or cable suspension because in the early days of the northwest there was no sealed roads going to the northwest. They were very corrugated, uh, basically tracks. Mm. And it was common for the suspension to fail on the trailers repeatedly on a trip and the truck drivers to have to pull over and repair the trailers to, to make the journey. The uh, wire rope suspension uh, eliminated that problem and made the Northwest a lot more accessible. Uh, and, yeah, I got to see a lot of that growing up. Uh, my father took me to all these places and I got to see it firsthand. We had dump trucks always in, in our yard at the factory. Uh, so I feel as though I have a good understanding of what happens on mine sites and any of the grey nomads that might be listening to this uh, on on eighty eight point five, it's uh, it would be great for you to to pay attention to how many diesel tankers you see driving to mine sites because you would be astounded at how much diesel gets burnt every day. We're, mm. we're talking about hundreds of thousands of liters of diesel. Um, these mine sites nowadays they run twenty four seven. Mm. Uh, there is, you know... Christmas Day. Yep. Good Friday. Yep. yep. They don't stop. Um, so, you know, it's important that we understand the scale of this. Now, a lot of people will argue that mining brings a lot of money into Australia, and that simply is not true. Uh, I haven't done a figure as of today, but the last time I looked, the mining industry directly only employed 38,000 people. Now, you compare that to the auto industry. The auto industry directly employs 440,000 people, so well and truly over 10 times. So uh, the money is a different story. 
when you look at the money. So let's just take iron ore. We're exporting over a billion tonnes of iron ore every year, mm. well over a billion tonnes. Now, uh, a couple of years ago, I did some cost analysis and it was costing the average iron ore miner around about $30 a tonne by the time the ore was loaded into the ship. Now, if you're selling the iron ore for $100 a tonne, you're making $70 a tonne profit. Mm. If you're mining a billion tonne a year, that means that these iron ore miners are making $70 billion a year. Now, is that money coming into Australia? Well, clearly not, because if it was, the Australian dollar would be worth three times the American dollar. Yep. The money goes into offshore bank accounts. A lot of it, we never see a cent of. We see a little bit of royalty money, but when you add up the amount of money that leaves this country and the amount of money that comes back in, there's just no, there's no case to put forward with the number of people employed, with, with the uh, amount of money that's coming in, the amount of money that's leaving, there is no case to put forward for mining, yep. right? The reality is that a handful of companies, even less than a handful of companies, are making huge profits that allows them to pay themselves in particular and also their shareholders huge dividends. And that also allows them to influence policy. Now, we've seen this with the Uber data dump. There was a lot of people when Uber came to town that were going, this seems very strange that the government would allow this to happen because a set of taxi plates is, you know, two hundred dollars to $300,000 and you've suddenly devalued those plates to be worth nothing. Now, a lot of people argue, well, they can't get flagfall. Everyone's got a mobile phone now, so that's better than flagfall. You can book, you know, have them pick up. Now, there's arguments to say, well, the taxi industry should have implemented something similar. I'm not going to argue with that. Uh, and there's arguments to say, well, Uber's a lot cheaper. That's not true. During peak time, Uber can be 10 times yeah, more expensive yeah. than, yeah. than catching a taxi. Mm. So why didn't the government stop it? Why didn't the government say, hey, hang on, we have special licences, we have specially licensed vehicles that have to pass roadworthies regularly? And you guys are just going to come along and get some Camry and put an Uber sticker on it. These people, you know, have they had clearances? Have they been checked out? You know, there was a lot of assaults in the early days of Uber that were covered up. Mm. You'd hear something about it briefly and then it would disappear. Why do you think the automobile, but the cars we know it, is, why is it perceived as the easy target? Because even in schools now, it's you're taught that the car is... Is no good anymore. The car the petrol, has the internal combustion engine it has seen its has seen its days. The car's been vilified for a long time. Mm. Now, as to why, I, I don't know. And to be honest with you, Nick, I'd rather just talk about the nuts and bolts. Okay, what I want to talk about is this mindset that out of all the things that produce CO two in this country, the car is the one that's the problem because that just simply is not true, and it's very cunning the way they've manipulated the figures. You cannot, you know, you would think that mining as a whole would be one sector of CO2 production. You would think that that, that would be, you know, electricity production, mining, transport, civilian transport even, mm. you know, because that's what we're talking about. So 
we knew, and we, we said this way before the election, we knew that if the Labor Party got in, led by Anthony Albanese, they would push the EV platform, right? Yep. Now we have uh, the, the climate change minister showing up at the climate forum in a Tesla, thanking Putin, of all people, for forcing this transition upon us. His exact words were, if you buy one of these, you'll never have to worry about the, the price of petrol again. But you will have to worry about the price of electricity. You will have to worry about the availability of electricity. I was in Fremantle two weeks ago, and there's a near the Italian club in Fremantle, mm. which is near the, the, I don't know if it's called the Eye of Fremantle. It's got an eye on it, yep. the, the big Ferris wheel. Uh and there's a row of EV charging stations. So I'm not sure if they get free parking or if they get free charging, what, what the deal is there. I don't own an EV. Uh, I, yeah, I haven't looked into it. But out of those charging stations, I think there was four or five, only one was operative. And there was a, a, a sign stuck to all the other ones. And it said on the sign that there was not el enough electricity supply to power all of the charging stations. But the council put those there. Mm. So did they not do their due diligence? Now, something uh, similar and, and actually more dramatic happened recently in Victoria uh, where a company that I deal with was asked to tender on fitting one charging station per apartment in this high-rise complex to, you know, get ready for the EV. Uh, the company that quoted on it said that not only did that building have enough power going into it. Now, when I say power, we're basically talking about the size of the cable mm -hmm. going into it. How you get around that problem is you fit large transformers and you run a higher voltage. So when you're driving and you see those, those uh, large wires that are very, very high off the ground, uh, like near Malaga, yep. they lead to a substation which takes the very high voltage down to a lower voltage. And then when you're driving around your neighbourhood and you see those transformers that fry every once in a while, well, those transformers take the little bit lower voltage and then bring it down to the 240 mm. volts that we use. Yep. Okay, So they said there wasn't enough power going into uh, that building, but there wasn't enough power going into that suburb so it would be impossible to have all these charging stations without basically rewiring the grid. Now, that's one high-rise. Can you imagine the whole of Melbourne, the whole of Sydney, trying to convert to EV charging stations? It's impossible. Now, this is a double-edged sword. So you've got that on one side, and then you've got the other side where you've got our own government announcing that they're going to shut down the coal, the Collie coal power station. Well, what are they going to replace it with? Now, if you had a government that was willing to say, we're going to go nuclear, it makes sense for us to go nuclear, that is clean energy, then I would say, well, you know what? They've got a game plan. They've, they're working towards something. You know, so when you look at the as a holistic approach, you look at, take a holistic approach of looking at it. Nuclear is actually pretty safe and it's very clean, you know. 
But we're not hearing about that. We're hearing about wind farms, mm. you know, and more solar. Now, the power generators that are privatised in other states, solar is a big headache for them because the sun comes out, the clouds go away, suddenly there's a big burst of energy and they now have to slow down their existing energy supply to accommodate that. So maybe banks of batteries will help, I guess, but let's just take the banks of battery approach for a second with EVs. So let's say that you want it to be uh, completely green and honestly green, not net zero green, green green, okay? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to buy an EV, I'm going to buy a battery pack, I'm going to get as much solar (coughs) as I can possibly get. It would take you roughly two weeks to charge your car enough to drive 100 kilometres. That's the reality of it. And, yeah, you can say, but I've got the battery. Yeah, but you need to charge the battery first. Mm. So you're still going to be reliant on the grid, unless, of course, you only want to drive 100 kilometres every two weeks. If that works out for you, and I'm sure that there's... Yeah, there would be people that work that, yeah. that work in that scenario. Yeah. All right, so, so let's get back to what we're talking about. The current statistics. I'll let you take over from here, Nick, so we can... Sure, everyone's sick of hearing my voice at this point. <laughs> no, we we're talking about the these statistics here. These are the, the greenhouse gas emissions by sector, yeah, by as sector. reported. So, electricity and heat, um, two hundred and twenty-two million ton. That's in Australia. This is two thousand and nineteen, by the way. Agriculture, one hundred and thirty-six million ton. This is the carbon dioxide, by the way. Transport. 102 million tonne. Fugitive emissions, 45 million tonne. So for those of you that don't know, fugitive emissions is leaks in pipes, which, you know, I I mean, I I don't even understand (coughs) how they've calculated that and and if that is the case, why don't they fix the leaks? Yep. (laughs) Um, Manufacturing and construction... 39 million, land use change and forestry, 22 million tonne, aviation and shipping, 17.4 million tonne, industry, 17 million tonne, buildings, 15 million tonne, waste, 12.4 million tonne, and other fuel combustion, uh, 6.58 million tonne. So that's that was from um, World... Ourworldindata.org. All right. So if we switch to the CSIRO, mm-hmm. we've got some conflicting... Yeah, we do. <laughs> this is the, the, the bit that I didn't get was here to CSIRO. Now, this is one year later, so this is for 2020, but energy burning of fossil fuels to produce electricity contributed to 33.6% of total emissions. Uh, stationary energy, including manufacturing, mining, residential and commercial fuel use, 20.4%. Transport, 17.6%. Agriculture, 14.6%. Fugitive emissions, uh, 10%. Industrial processes, 6.2%. And waste, 2.7%. Most of it flows, but the fugitive emissions, agriculture and transport seem to be the the wrong way around there. But the point is that... You've got two 
CSIRO, I mean, those guys, in my <laughs> eyes, are legends. I've always, yep. uh, as a child growing up, they were always science heroes to me. Uh, but you've got the two big boys here, and their data is, like, not a little bit different. Mm. It's it's way off whack. Now, add to this, you've got Jennifer Rayner, who's a, a PhD um, you know, and has a half a dozen initials after a name. She's the head of advocacy for uh, the Climate Council, right? She has stated transport is the second largest emitter of CO2 behind power generations, and she claimed that it accounted for 18% of Australia's total emissions. I'm missing something here because transport's number three on both the CSIRO and the, mm. right, it's number three. Nowhere does anyone look at mining as one unit. <laughs> that's, that's a really interesting point. You know, why is that? CSIRO have a stationary energy, including manufacturing, residential, commercial fuel use, and mining is all jammed in together. Yeah, but I think that that's not really 100% true either because I believe that part of transport and part of agriculture – falls into the mining envelope. Now, it's easy enough to calculate how much the mines use because you've got two ways of calculating this. You know how many vehicles are out there. You know how much CO2 they produce every hour, okay? And then on the other side of the coin, you know how much diesel they use and you can calculate from that how much CO2 is being emitted because Mm. if you burn that much diesel, that's how much CO2 is emitted. Now, when it comes to the diesel... There's another interesting point that I'd like to make. Some mines, uh, iron ore miners in particular, they don't get their diesel locally. And this is part of the reason why plants like Quinana and, and you know, other plants around Australia haven't have been able uh, have been forced to shut down because it's not economically viable anymore. So what they do is the iron ore ship that is carrying the iron ore to China for let, mm. let's say for argument's sake that is loaded with diesel in bladder bags and that gets unloaded at the port and gets dropped into the iron ore carriages and then taken. Now, what happens to those bladder bags, whether they get returned or they're just dumped, I don't know. But uh, that's how they're getting the diesel, which doesn't help anyone in Australia at all. And it also allows them to, you know, not disclose exactly how much diesel they're using. Sorry to interrupt you, but that you raise a really interesting point here and you told me that it would be easy to find. I had all sorts of difficulty finding data on um, the fuel consumption or the emissions burnt from a, 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 we'll call it a haul pack, and, and I just could not find. So you bring up the specs on the Komatsu version, the, the West Track version, sorry, I take that back, the Caterpillar version. And all those, I was unable to find anything. I had to dig, you actually sent me a link to a gentleman by the name of Vladislav Kozjesevich. Um, this was an excerpt from the Mining Engineer magazine. Um, and he's done some data there. And I just pulled out one in particular, the Caterpillar 793D. Which is a, a bulldozer. No, no, this was a this was a the, the dump truck. Dump truck. Yep. Oh, okay. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I missed. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. So this is the my apologies. Seven nine three D at thirty percent engine load. Right. I, I th- took thirty percent. Here has all the data here from 
um, he has 30, 20, 30, 40, and 50. But I took 30% because I felt that's where they probably operate at with the, on average. Uh, that thing emits 370 kilograms of carbon per hour. Now, I did some mass, and that's the equivalent to 5,362 Toyota Camrys. Now, I, I hope everyone... Not hybrid Camrys either. Full <laughs> petrol, 2.5-litre Camrys. I hope everyone listening, you know, can just take a moment. So, one dump truck, one Caterpillar... 793D. 793D mm-hmm. dump truck emits... The same amount of emissions in as an hour. in an hour as well. I mean, if they they yeah. were running, and, and that was at thirty percent, thirty percent. Yeah. Okay. So so it would be fair to assume that when they're going up the incline, they're probably at a hundred percent. Yeah, I I would say so. Yeah. I, yeah. I, and and when they're just rolling around because of the fact that they're you know so heavy, they're probably at thirty or more yeah. percent just driving around, and that that um. 5,362 Camrys. Five, okay, so yeah, I want everyone listening to this to just have a bit of a think about that. So I believe that most people would drive, if you averaged it out, two hours a day. Mm-hmm. Would that be a fair yeah. assessment? The dump truck works 24-7, 24 mm-hmm. hours a day, seven days a week, Yep. Right. It doesn't take long to see that you don't need many dump trucks operating to be letting off more CO two than all the mums and dads out there. Yeah, that's that that number speaks volumes. Five thousand three hundred and sixty-two Toyota Camrys, and they're full petrol Camrys too, as I said before. That's okay. an astounding figure. Now, there's another interesting point that I'd like to make here. So I got out of the mining industry about 20 years ago. Back then, there was a manufacturer called Euclid, which is still around, I believe, and another manufacturer called Terex. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they specialised in what they call electric drive dump trucks. Mm -hmm. Now, electric drive for mining equipment has been around well over 100 years, Mm. well and truly. Lee Bear, you know, I, I could rattle off a dozen different manufacturers. Uh, there was a push in particular in Western Australia to for for market dominance by mechanical drive and Caterpillar is is the the biggest and then Komatsu would be the next one after Caterpillar in the mechanical drive market right if we had a diesel over electric dump trucks now to convert them to electric full electric without any diesel motor would be fairly simple because you just remove the generator and the diesel motor and fit it with a battery pack, mm, you know, yep. basically an oversized cordless drill battery pack. Um, and considering the point that I made earlier, the iron ore industry is making $70 billion profit every year. It's, you know, it's easy enough to fund mm. the solar arrays that you need and the technology that you need to do that. So why are we so concerned with mum and dad's Camry? Mm, yep. Why has that become the, the, the point that uh, is being pushed? If we are trying to achieve zero, forget net zero, zero is our end game. 
The planet doesn't care if you bought some carbon credits to offset your carbon. The planet only cares about the carbon dioxide that's getting released. Mm. So if that's the end game, then why aren't we looking at these big polluters and why aren't we even talking about them? Why aren't we even grouping them together and saying that, you know, look, mining is, is a big problem. When I did the maths on this, when I sent that email through to you, by my calculations, when you consider all the factors that go into mining, mining accounts for 50% of our CO2 emissions now. Mm. Yep. 50%. So electricity is roughly 30%. Mining is roughly 50 And the remaining 20 is made up from all the other little bits and pieces. Mm. Yep. For those wondering, the Toyota Camry figures I've got from Toyota, and so that, you know, I mean, I take that on board. I get 174 grams per 100 kilometre, and I worked out the Camry was travelling on average speed of 40 kilometres an hour. That's where I come to those maths. If you have any questions about that, just drop us an email or send us a message on Facebook. I can send you through my calculations there on how we came to that. But, you know, the, the reality is we're not... We're not trying to say um, the Camry is a great car. Or I just used that as as a good example because well, it's it, it's well, it, it's a globally the Camry is probably one of the most recognised cars. It, and, look, I think it's an excellent example because uh, you know we we want to focus about Australia. This is about Australia, and let's not forget that we're hearing all this rhetoric. Australia accounts, by your calculation, 1.18% of global emissions. Yeah. By my calculation, 0.9. So we're at, you know, if you average that out, we're at the 1%, 1%. Mm. Okay, so if we got to true zero, not net zero, because net zero is, you know, it's pretty sketchy. The government is uh, offering incentives now for us to plant trees or leave existing uh, plantations not cut them down to use them for their intended purpose which is usually construction mm. right they're saying well we'll pay you to leave them alone this is part of their plan to get their net number down because if you have all these trees but what about you know places like Queensland uh, where uh, conservationists have have bought large chunks of forest and they've left it alone mm. I mean I, I've got to be honest um I said this many years ago, and and I'll say it again. I feel as though we're moving closer and closer towards a carbon tax, and it's you know kind of like the the John Howard. You know, we're not going to bring in the GST, but oh, here's the GST. Mm. You know, yeah. um, so let's let's have a, a, a bigger look at this, right? So we've already worked out that that. You know, making us all drive EVs is not going to save the planet, okay? Mm-hmm. But but let's just have a really nuts and bolts type attitude towards this. Let's work out what the emissions of uh, an EV are compared to a petrol car. Now, I, I'd just like to make this point. The Camry is Australia's best-selling car. The mm. Hilux is the best-selling vehicle but the Camry is the best-selling car. Correct. And, and most of those Hiluxes are on mine sites. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. So, you know, we, we shouldn't 
enter into a discussion about that. They're on mine sites. They're not what mums and dads drive. Toyota Camrys are what mums and dads. And I think globally, it, there's an argument there to say that the Camry's got to be right up there. Mm. You know, probably globally the best-selling car yep. as, a, as a family sedan. So I think that's a good vehicle. I know a lot of people that are listening to this are probably having a chuckle because of our own, you know, Camry project. <laughs> but this is nothing to do with this. This is just facts. Um, by the way, the Camry went 1180 on the weekend at 130 mile an hour with me shifting it into neutral. But anyway, it's another story. It's a story for another podcast. Now, you wanted to talk about, so what you wanted to talk about was comparing the, uh, I, I pulled a Tesla out, Model 3, because that's probably arguably the most popular most popular of the EVs that we have here in and, and most comparable, I think. And I pulled out the Camry as well. So there's a thing called uh, the kilograms per, uh, kilograms of carbon dioxide per kilowatt hour coefficient. Now, interestingly, on your notes there, I've got a, I've got a, I get different figures for that, and that concerns me. That concerns me that I get different figures for that, depending on where I go and what I look at. I've, I've, in the end, I've gone with a different number here. I've got point six eight, and that changes the numbers slightly. But I've seen that number as high as point nine three six as well, and that does change. That does change um, the amount of emissions that a Tesla would put out. So. That in itself does concern me slightly. But basically, using the 0.936 as the coefficient in Western Australia, it's certainly higher in Victoria as well. The Tesla is on par, if not more, depending on the economy, than the Toyota Camry in terms of putting out emissions. If I use the better figure that's and, been published in the industry.gov.au... Let me just stop you there for a second. Mm -hmm. Now, we're not talking about the CO2 to charge it. We're talking about what it consumes in, in the charge that it's got on board. Mm -hmm. right? It's important to understand that when you convert anything, it doesn't matter if it's electricity or fuel... The energy that you get out is not going to be exactly the same. No, yeah, yeah. It's going to be less, mm -hmm. right? Um, that's just because there's losses. If, Ohms, Ohms came up with that a few years ago, that guy. Yeah, that, that guy worked it out. <laughs> uh, there's been a lot of conservation of energy laws over over time, you know, over the last couple of hundred years. Um, the, if you can feel the charger getting warm, then part of that energy mm. is is getting converted into heat. So if you're putting in 100 kilowatt hours, you're not going to get 100 kilowatt hours going into that battery, right? You're going to get a lot less. So you need to understand that even if it gets close to the same numbers as a Camry, the reality is that back behind the meter box, the numbers are worse. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So that means that the EV is 100% emitting more CO2 than the petrol-burning equivalent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as I said, with that that coefficient, there are different numbers that are bandied around for different states. But I've put the, the better one in, but the, the numbers are still quite 
quite staggering. The, the, the Tesla emits 11.3 kilograms of carbon per 100 k's. Um, if I change that number to the 0.936, it's in your notes there. I, I don't remember what it was <laughs> per the 100 kilometres. Yeah, it's 15. There you go. So it's 15.53 uh, kilograms. And the Camry um, is 17. That's at, at worst as well. So 17.43 kilograms per 100 kilometres. So we're all. It all comes down to that coefficient figure there, and how. And as you said, the and and we're not taking into consideration any the, losses. The losses. I've used a hundred percent efficiency in charging there. Yeah, those yeah, and it's there's no way in the world you're going to get a hundred percent efficiency yep. between the meter box, the and the and the uh, charger. You're losing, uh, and then between the charger and the battery you're losing, and then pulling it back out of the battery and turning it into, um, uh, you know, motion, you're losing again. Now, let's not let's not get too carried away here, right? There's a very, very important point that I want to make about uh, the efficiency of electric vehicles. Now, uh, not only, you know, did my brother and I build an EV uh well over 20, close to 30 years ago. But my brother uh, and, and myself, we're both EV fanatics in terms of the performance side of things. I'm still in contact with a lot of the parts suppliers. Um, and, you know, I, I would like to uh, sometime in the near future build a high-performance EV vehicle. I'm not going to do it because I want to save the planet. I'm going to do it because I think the technology is cool. And, and, you know, I believe that... If you manipulate the motor um, correctly, then you should be able to uh, exceed the performance of the petrol-burning uh, mm. equivalent, right? Um, but the thing that you need to remember is when you're driving an EV around the city, they are very, very efficient, right? It's because of regenerative braking. Every time you touch that pedal, the motors reverse and they put power back into the battery, Okay. When you get out on the highway, you don't have that. And you can physically watch that gauge going down. Mm. And the faster you go, the more wind resistance, the faster that gauge goes down. Then enter into air conditioning and heating. On a petrol-burning car, the heating is a waste product. They've got a radiator at the front of the car and a fan to cool the engine down. It's a byproduct of internal combustion, mm. right? The combustion bit that generates the heat. So the heating is free. The cooling, they have an air compressor on the side of the motor and, you know, the amount of load that it puts on, on the motor is fairly insignificant. Yes, it will have an effect on the mileage, but not as dramatic as an EV where they have to have a separate electric motor to run the air conditioning system. It's not run off the primary mm. motor. If they did, every time you stopped, your air conditioning would stop, mm. right? Then you've got the fan. On a car, on a petrol-burning car, the battery is there just primarily for starting. There's an alternator that charges that battery while the engine's running. So things like fans, like brake lights, like headlights... They don't really have an effect. It's it's minuscule, if any, effect mm. to the fuel consumption. On an electric vehicle, all of that stuff is draining the battery. It is all draining the battery. 
And the reality is the more of that stuff you have on. So, for example, it's nighttime. We've got our windscreen fogged up. We have the air con and the heater on and we're driving down the highway. The, the battery consumption is going to be phenomenal. With our lights on. With our light, well, it's night time. Mm. You would have your lights on, that's I would right. imagine. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, that's you make a, a very valid point there, and one that um, you know that they can't they can't hide behind that one. The other thing that I wanted to talk about was has I'd like to know has anyone that has an EV actually done the maths and worked out how much it costs them to charge the vehicle in their house. I look. I, I um. I, I don't think anyone would have, because I, I don't think they want to know. This surprised <laughs> me. This this number surprised me. Again, I'm happy to be proven incorrect, but I've checked this a number of times. So electricity in WA. This is in WA, of course. Is charged out at thirty eight point nine cents per kilowatt hour in Western Australia. Uh, Using the Tesla Model 3, I've averaged its consumption, right? So in kilowatt hours per 100 kilometres, I've taken their worst and their best and averaged it out. So it'll cost you $28.25 to completely charge your Tesla, assuming you're going to get the 461-kilometre range. That's assuming you're going to get the 461 kilometres. So every 461 kilometres, that car is costing you $28.25. That is a phenomenal figure. I think we're one of the cheapest in the country too. Yeah. We are. But even in Western Australia, that I don't think many people have taken that number into consideration. A lot of people say to me, but they're free to run. They're not, not free, mate. There's no such thing as a free lunch or a free charge. <laughs> yeah, so that, that number there, I think if people really understood... That twenty eight dollars. I know that's a lot cheaper. You're not going to get twenty eight dollars worth of fuel to get you four hundred and sixty one kilometres, but still, that's a that is a a finite figure on the household budget, especially on a car that's cost you sixty nine thousand dollars to buy up front. Well, this is where this is where we're headed. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you know you know when an agenda is being pushed and there's something a little bit suspicious about it. Okay, so we're starting to see state governments offering uh, incentives, financial incentives, for people to switch to EVs. Yep. Okay? Um, there's a lot of problems with the, the EV uh, transition. The first one is that we, we've all been through this recently as a result of the war in Ukraine. The fuel prices went through the roof. The uh, former Morrison government dropped the fuel excise. The fuel excise, when you see a sign on the side of the road and it says federally funded road project, that means that that 30 cents roughly, 32 cents, something like that per litre that you're paying at the Bowser has gone into uh, building that road basically, Mm -hmm. right? Um, We're going to have to go to a kilometre-based system with EVs and they're going to have to factor that into the cost of running an EV, mm-hmm. right? The next thing is the battery. Now, we're hearing... Now, a lot of this rhetoric is coming from the Climate Council and from the EV lobby groups. 
It isn't coming from engineers, mm. right? Which worries me. We're hearing that. <coughs> pardon me. We're hearing that they're offering ten-year warranties yeah. on on the batteries, and that they guarantee the battery will be at ninety percent efficiency in ten years' time. I find that really, really hard to believe, because if that was the case, if the technology existed for that, then why is it that mobile phone batteries, you know, I mean, they die. We all, we've all got a mobile. We've all experienced it. Most of us will buy a new phone for that reason. Uh, Nick knows me quite well. He knows that I'll just get a new battery fitted mm. because I like my old phone. <laughs> um, yeah. What are we going to do with those batteries after? So the, the talk of recycling uh, has come up quite a lot. And I have heard uh, people which clearly don't know what they're talking about say that, oh, well, you know, you just plug a computer into them and reprogram them. Um, I'm not sure of the exact terminology. I think it's a dendrite crystal. Mm-hmm. But what, what I can understand is over time lithium-ion batteries form these crystals and the battery is basically throwaway. Mm. So the, the recycling then, there's a few problems in that. The, the biggest component of the battery is the casing that separates all the cells. And that's made out of plastic. Mm. Okay? Uh, you then need to pull all those cells out individually and then you need to go through some sort of process to separate um, the parts. Now, we're hearing a lot of talk about lithium, the lithium industry, lithium mining, but lithium is a very, very small percentage of the battery. Most of the battery is actually nickel. Mm. So you've got all these metals there that, that you know we need to separate. Now, once again, you've got to look at the cost versus benefit, uh, and the reality is that those batteries are going to end up in landfill because, you know, it's just not that simple to separate those elements, mm. you know, and, and you've still got all that plastic to deal with. The cells are all individually wrapped in plastic. Yeah. Then you've got the plastic frame that the, the batteries are held together with. Um, I, I just feel that, you know, if we do this, we need to talk about all this stuff now get it out in the open, come up with solutions for it, and then we can go to this transition. Yeah. Did you know that only 2% of lithium-ion batteries in Australia at the moment are recycled? 2%. So, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm even surprised the number's yeah. that high, to yeah. be honest with you. So, I mean, that, that, you know, that, that begs that question as well. Like, I don't think these things have been thought through, as you said, very well. Um, and... That, that's the purpose of this podcast tonight is to ask ask our listeners to consider those to consider those these things that we put forward we need to be very clear about what we're saying here tonight and and um, I don't want to come across as an EV hater because that's not what we're about no I de- I definitely not I, I, if anything I would say that I'm the opposite mm. um, I, I uh, like I said I, I have every intention of building. Uh, and another EV uh, sometime in my lifetime because the you know the the great thing about the electric motor is that you've got a hundred percent torque at zero rpm mm-hmm. um, but to say that number one we can transition when we don't have the power grid we don't have the power supply uh, we just don't have the wiring um, to do it 
Yeah. Uh, number two, to say that that's the industry that we should be targeting, that we, you know, by doing this we're going to save the planet. Well, number one, you know, we're 1% of the global problem. Mm-hmm. And number two, uh, 50% of our 1% is mining. Yep. So they've got the area to do it. They've got the money to do it. And they've got the equipment. Like I said, the electric mining, like not just the trucks, the face shovels, uh, the the drag lines, you know, a lot of those things are already diesel over electric. Mm-hmm. You eliminate the electric motor and you run a cable to them. Yep. That's, you know, yep. uh, the dump trucks, you, you have a, a battery pack that slides in. And, you know, the other thing that we didn't mention, Australia cops it a lot from other countries because they say, well, yeah, you're only 1%, but your per capita emissions are mm. huge. You know, your, your per capita emissions are higher than the US. Well, there's a lot of trucks running around that are autonomous. There's not even a driver in them. You can't say, well, you know, your truck's emitting X amount of CO2. Well, it's not your truck. It be- belongs to the mining company, mm. you know. And if you look at it that way, if you eliminate the 50%, you say, let's let's discount mining. Let's take it out of the equation. Now what's our per capita number? Our per capita number is pretty yeah, good then. pretty good. It's yeah. very, you know, like we're right down the bottom. We're in the, the Swedens and, mm. you know, uh, countries like that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we're, we're really getting tarred with the wrong brush here. What they should be focusing on is saying that, look, the mining companies in Australia are a big problem um, and – you know, and this is a global thing. If you want us to get to net zero, then globally, the, the you know, France, for example, uh, that, that, you know, tries to put pressure on our politicians to, to sign up to these accords and so on, they should be saying to the politicians, hey, you, you know, do something about your mining. Tell them to clean up. Tell them to convert to EVs. Hmm. You know, the technology's been around for 100 years. Hurry up and do it. Mm. They can afford to buy the battery packs. They can afford to put up the solar arrays. They've got enough land there. They can explore all sorts of uh, uh, green technology. Yeah. And, you know, they've got the $70 billion a year profit margin. You know, probably if you take mining and nickel and everything else into it, they're probably profiting over $100 billion mm. a year. Yeah, yeah. One thing I just want to double back on because I've just checked my notes a bit better here. So in Victoria, we're going back to this uh, kilograms of carbon dioxide per kilowatt hour coefficient. I actually found the number. So for Victoria, it's 1.13. That changed the maths quite significantly. Now, this is from the Essential Services Commissions of uh, it's a Department of the State Government in Victoria. So that's where that number comes from. That was in 2020, 1.13 kilograms. So the Tesla in Victoria, if I'm charging up the Tesla, at best, it emits 16.83 kilograms of carbon. At worst, it's 18.75 kilograms of carbon. This is per 100 kilometres. So that actually makes it worse than the Toyota Camry. Yeah. Yeah, yeah the so, numbers that you gave earlier, it was about two kilograms better. Yeah. Um, that was using a different coefficient figure of Western Australia. Yeah. I'm not saying that's correct either. That's what I get from industry.gov.au. But this figure from the government, state government of Victoria has it at 1.13. Again, happy to be proven uh, corrected on that, but that's just our maths suggesting that the, the 
and again, I feel like I'm I'm bashing Tesla. It's not about bashing Tesla. It's just about picking a car out that's yeah. comparable. You would argue that that's the most popular yeah. uh, EV and the Camry's the most popular uh, petrol-burning car at this point in time when this is recorded, uh, you know, September 2022. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's where we're at. Um, and both vehicles are of a similar size as well. Correct. You know, correct. Similar payload. The, yeah. the next thing is... Uh, the fires, the safety, the safety yeah. of, of um, uh, EVs and, and lithium-ion uh, batteries. Mm-hmm. Um, first things first, you know, we're talking about a lot of voltage. We've got 240 volts um, at the plug. Some of these EVs run well over double that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think some are running six or 700 volts. Mm. Um, now, you know, no one should get near that part of the vehicle, uh, but it's something to think about mm. that um, I've heard uh, EV rhetoric where they say, oh, you know, people are driving around uh, with a, a Molotov cocktail um, underneath them referring to a, um, a petrol vehicle. Well, you know, you, you're driving around with a power station underneath you with a, uh, an EV. Now, the, the other thing is I myself have had uh, two lithium-ion batteries fail they didn't fail because there was something wrong with the battery or the dendrite crystals formed and, and uh, shorted the battery. They failed because of a very, very simple uh, charging issue. Okay, So lithium-ion batteries have to have some sort of control module mm-hmm. that governs the power in and out because if they get too much power dump too quickly... Uh, the battery will fry and, you know, possibly explode. And if they get too much power coming in too quickly, the, the same will be. Um, and this particular charger that I had had this little trick where if you plug the battery into the charger and then plug the charger into the power socket, it tricks the battery and it, it does a bit of a uh, charge dump. The reason that it has this facility is because if you run a lithium-ion battery um, dead, certain brands, I'm not saying this is the case for all the bands, the little circuit will cut it off, right? And then to get that battery back so that the circuit can do its job, you need to give it a little bit of a push, basically. And that's, you know, what this charger does, okay? Now, I wasn't aware of this. There was nothing in the paperwork to suggest that, <coughs> although it did say that the correct procedure is to plug the battery into the socket and then plug it into the, uh, sorry, plug the charger into the socket, plug it into the battery. Okay, um, what happened was that uh, we had a power outage while it was charging. So what happens there is the charger turns off it's still plugged into the battery. Mm-hmm. The power comes back on. It does its little trick. And lucky for me, nothing bad happened, but it burnt a hole straight through the center of the battery, right? I was very, very fortunate. So I went to get on the vehicle that this battery's on. It didn't work. It had no power. I removed the battery. <laughs> and contacted the manufacturer and they said, yeah, um, you know, you must have done this. And I said, no. And there was a power outage 
and that must have mm. caused it, okay? The second time it happened was similar circumstances. I had one of these batteries in a motor vehicle, powering the, the, the motor vehicle. Uh, the boot had been left open. The battery had drained overnight. I jump-started the vehicle. Inadvertently, I've done the same thing now. Yeah. I've done exactly the same thing. I've just dumped a heap of power. That open-circuited the battery. Car started. Car's running now. The electricity from the alternator is now being dumped into the lithium-ion battery. The battery <laughs> caught on fire in the boot of the car. I had to reach into the battery, reach into the boot, disconnect the battery and pull it out. It was a molten mess. I, I grabbed it um, by the cables. Now, I don't know what's emitted when one of these batteries pa- fails, but the paint on the inside of the boot peeled off. And wow. I, I feel that um, uh, I now have a respiratory problem from those gases because I did breathe in mm. some of those. Since that day, my throat's never felt the same again. Now, the other side of this is how these batteries operate when they're burning. They don't need an oxygen source like petrol does. So I can't remember the exact uh, temperatures, but I think petrol burns at around about 1,200 degrees Fahrenheit. Lithium burns at about 10 times that from there. Um, So you've got this uh, uncontrollable fire that's emitting this uh, toxic fumes and you can't put it out with any of the firefighting equipment that we've got at the moment. Uh, In Europe, they've been working on these carbon fibre blankets. Basically what they do is they pull the blanket over the car, they put some safety bunding around it, and they let it burn. Mm, um, yeah. I don't know if you saw that article in the US. They had to. They actually in the US they had to dig a hole and fill it up with water, and then throw the car in there. It would have. It would have kept on burning. <laughs> I think it went. It went on for a few days, but yeah, it was the only way to keep it safe. And uh, there's a picture of that there. I'll I'll post that on our social media. If you're watching the video, of, there's a video. There's a picture of it right there. One of the interesting things I felt like the Climate Council, and I've got nothing against the Climate Council, but I don't like, um, you know, some of the subliminal messaging they, they put on their website. So th- there's a picture of an, I think it's EK or... FC. FC maybe, yeah. yeah FC. I think it's FB, FC. <laughs> yeah, mm. rusting or missing bits out in the bush in the I'd middle like, of nowhere. I'd love to know where that is because I'd restore that. <laughs> and, and, you know, if you, being a true conservationist, that's what you do. That's right. You take an old rusty relic, yeah. bring it back to life, and you've reduced uh, your emissions. You've reduced your emissions globally yeah. by doing that. And the, the headline underneath this picture is, Climate Council calls for auto peak body to stop blocking the road, in inverted commas, ahead of EV summit. And they've used that picture there. And I, <clears> I just think that's, you know, there's subliminal messaging there for you know even in schools now ev is touted as the future and and a lot of kids in that sort of 11 to 15 year old bracket believe that you know that 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 is the future and you know the petrol burning vehicles the internal combustion engine we shouldn't be using those anymore we should be phasing them out and and 
while I agree, um, I understand where the schools are at and they have to taught, be taught these sort of lessons. Um, I think the messaging is incorrect at the moment. I don't think I don't think that's correct, and I I, I don't want to mention the school. Uh, but I did want to go down and speak with a teacher at one stage because some of the homework that came home was just factually incorrect. Factually the, incorrect. <clears throat> the other side, uh, I mean, you know, you don't have to worry uh, about it at that age. My kids are three and four mm. and, um, you know, I, I think that at that age you should just let kids be kids uh, but they are continually being bombarded with information uh, about pollution and, and so on. And, and I don't think that's fair. Mm. Um, if, you're, you know, if you're worried about um, suicide rates in kids, maybe you should take that into consideration. Yep. That, that, you know, let them be kids first. Mm. Yep. We, we've got uh, 18 years old as a, the required age uh, to be considered an adult and to be allowed to have a drink, um, maybe wait until they're at 18 before you start trying to, you know, put this stuff into their head. Make and, them save the world. Yeah, you know, yeah. And, and the doom and gloom that's associated with it. Mm. The other thing is that, you know, as we were growing up, we saw the car as freedom, mm. you know. Uh, we could get in the car, we could go to the beach, we could go to the drive-ins. We could go see our friends. Um, you just, it, it, it's been vilified. Mm. It gets blamed for all manner of things. And the reality is that we wouldn't have anything that we've got if we didn't have vehicles. Yeah. You know, the, like a bulk of our money in Western Australia uh, does come from mining. Uh, and that mining wouldn't exist without vehicles. Mm. You need vehicles for that to to, to uh, operate, and you need vehicles that can go thousands of kilometres. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I've done the Nullarbor trek several times myself, and I've done it without stopping at mm. uh, service stations. We've loaded up some forty-four gallon drums with fuel in the back, and we filled filled up as we've gone along. Yeah, yeah. That's the freedom that the vehicle the internal combustion-powered vehicle gives you, Mm. the EV is going to be reliant on where and when you can get power. Mm. And then you will be forced to wait while it charges. Getting back to the charging, um, I would really like to read the fine print on these warranties because my understanding is that if you continually fast charge an EV the battery life uh, is shortened considerably faster than slow charging it. And if you slow charge it, I think it takes days to actually... Yeah, it's it's not one day. It's it's more than one day. Yeah. On, on a standard 240-volt power point, yeah. Now, I guess the first thing is um, we, we talked about this. We started talking about this to analyse it, having a, a holistic approach. Okay, so what we've established is number one, transport shouldn't be on the agenda. Mining should be on the agenda. That's what we should be focused on. So I encourage everyone that's listening to this, watching this, and I should have said this at the beginning of the podcast, share this, share this on social media. Uh, 
send links to your friends. Get them to, to listen to this because, and, you know, get on climate.org. Do your own research with uh, dump truck emissions, with face shovel emissions, with drag line emissions. Um, try and get a better picture and understanding of just how much uh, CO2 is emitted by the mining industry in Australia. I'm not talking about globally because globally it's shocking. I read some stuff today that uh, copper mining in Chile, I think it was, mm. accounted for over 80% of their CO2 emissions. Mm. Yeah. You know, that's phenomenal. Yeah. So uh, do your research and push back. We need to get together, all of us, and push back against this. We are still the majority. We don't want this to be another one of those situations where the noisy minority that's being funded, uh, you know, because at the end of the day, if if we were going to have full disclosure, um, we should see where the lobbyists are getting their money from because then you understand why they're doing it. They're not doing it because they believe in the cause. Anyone that thinks that about politics has an unrealistic, uh, you know, a, a complete misconception of how the world works. These people do it because there's money involved. They're getting paid to do it. Lobbyists get paid. It's as simple as that. They're yeah. funded by the industry they're lobbying. So, you know, it's easy for these types of things to get push through in the name of good but whether they actually achieve any of that uh, is is a different story so we need to write to the ministers we need to start forming groups to protest this we need to say hey leave mum and dad's camry alone go after the dump trucks go after uh, the mining companies you know, just the power generation for the mine sites just to run the dongers and the air conditioners is phenomenal. Yeah. It's phenomenal. You know, hundreds of thousands of litres of diesel every day get burned up by these mine sites. That's what you need to target. If you are genuinely trying to reduce our CO2 emissions, that's what you need to target. Now, you need to understand, anyone listening to this has to really stop and think about this we're talking about one planet there's only one planet so even if we got our one percent and we reduced it to zero there's still 99 percent so the big emitters uh china and the u.s they're the two big players china is you know well ahead of the curve in terms of their emissions instead of just focusing on our own policies why aren't we implementing policies to force those countries into reducing their emissions? Why don't we implement tariffs? You know, if you're emitting 36% of the CO2 globally, then you should your products should be taxed. It's as simple as that. So if, if the government's looking at implementing a carbon tax, start there. Start taxing the countries products that emit the most co2 throw big tariffs on those countries now you're saying well that's going to hit the end user and what do you think switching to evs isn't Mm. the fact that in summer you won't be able to turn your air conditioning on because we'll be on some sort of uh power share share power restriction Mm. um i've heard horror stories out of countries like spain where they've tried to fast track 
this by shutting down coal-powered fire stations. And, you know, people are dying because they can't get heating or cooling, yeah. you know. They can't cook their dinner. They have no way of cooking their dinner. You know, that's, that's the kind of uh, post-apocalyptic Australia that we're looking at if we rush into this. Mm. And there's no reason to do it. There's absolutely no reason to do it. If you just dealt with the mining, you would fix, you'd hit your, your 50%. Easily, with plenty of time. The mines could adopt this stuff in a couple of years. Mm. They could switch to full electric in a couple of years. Is the, the technology's out there. It's just a matter of, oh, well, you know, you guys don't do a, an electric truck. These guys do. We're going to order them from them from now on, you know. Um, you know, I, I, we have to do this. We have to do this for our children. We have to do this for ourselves. Yep. Um, we can't keep on listening to this rhetoric and... And, you know, if you see someone and they're saying, you're, you're a climate sceptic, you're a climate denier, just say to them, no, I'm not. It's just that my car is practically nothing compared to the mines. And why are you standing here worried about my car when there's a dump truck that in, in, in one hour has put more CO2 into the atmosphere than... 5,200 Camrys. 5,362. 5,300. Nearly 5,500 Camrys, you know, and that dump truck runs 24-7. Yep. And, and there's thousands of those dump trucks running around all over mine sites in Australia. Mm. You think about it, 38,000 people work in mining, right, and there's a lot of autonomous trucks on top of that. You know, that's just to give you a bit of a scale of, of yeah. how much we're talking about. It, it is just, it's just unbelievable and no one's talking about it. Well, it seems as though you and I are the only two people in, in the 25 million people who live in this country that are talking about mining and the fact that they are the biggest contributor of CO2. And yep. it, it just, it just, um, it just makes me sad that we've gotten to this point. Have we missed anything, Nick? I don't believe so. I think we've covered the notes quite well. And I'd just like to put it out there again. I have written to the Climate Council and I've written to uh, the Minister uh, and the CSIRO and uh, told them, you know, we're going to be recording this Um would you like to comment? Would you like to come on the show? Would you like to be involved in uh, the discussion? And I have not received a reply from any of them. Mm. Um, you know, we need to get this out there, uh, you know, so that these people start to take our questions. If they've got legitimate answers, if we're wrong, then, hey, you know, I'm, I'm here to listen to it. I'm here to... Uh, hear what they've got to say because I do want to. I've got a three and a four year old. Mm. I do want the planet to be around in a hundred years' time. Of course, you know yep. I don't want the the islands uh, in in the the South Pacific disappearing because the water levels have risen. But I don't think that there is any like a shred of evidence saying that if everyone went and bought a EV. Uh, that it would have any impact at all. Mm, I, I yep. think that there's plenty of evidence here to, to say that it would actually make things worse. Mm, and yep. that really, really concerns me. 
Yep. Yep. No, agreed. And I think that actually sums up the whole podcast, that final two sentences you just said then. That really does sum up everything we've been trying to say in this podcast is that, you know, we're looking down the barrel of making uh, we, you, the government or the Climate Council, whatever lobby group you want to say, is asking Australians to make a $69,000 investment at the very least into something that could cause, what well, will cause more harm to the environment yeah. just to, to start with. Um, in the, look, in the future, when we have enough renewables, we have enough solar panels, we have enough wind farms, um, then I, I feel that there, there's going to be some tipping point where it makes sense. But you, you can't discount the waste in the batteries. Mm. You can't discount the waste in the way the cars are designed. The front end of a Tesla is made out of die cast. Mm. If you have a smash with that car, they're probably going to throw the whole car away. Mm. Yep. You know, I, I, it's just not repairable. Um, die cast, you can't weld it. You, you know, uh, for those of you that aren't familiar with die cast, a Hot Wheels car is made out of die cast. Mm-hmm. Um, Honey it, pots made from die cast. There you go. Mm. You know, the shifter on the XW. That's yeah, that yeah. Was, remember yeah, that? Yeah. That's die cast. <laughs> we had all sorts of fun with that, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. You can't weld that. Can't, you no. can't do anything with it. Um, so you know, you've got to take into account the waste. Uh, and and you know things like the transformers as new technology comes along, that stuff's going to be obsolete. Mm. A um, you know twenty thousand uh, dollar battery charger, you know it's, it's not a transformer; it's a solid state deal. Mm. Um, it's you know if you're talking about waste from from things like laptops and mobile phones, imagine the piles of you know battery chargers. I mean. Yeah. Yeah, all of this stuff, mm. um, it, it's just and, – and like I said, you know, uh, <clears throat> you look at that rusty car that the Climate Council uh, used as their advertising. I look at that and I see a project mm. where you can bring that back to life. You're not going to be doing that with a, no, a, a, no, an EV yeah. that's uh, got a dead battery in it, yeah. Yeah. you know. Um, I just think it's, it's the wrong move and I, I feel that – we need to be talking about this. We need to make sure that the politicians hear our voice. So share this. Talk about it in your office, at your workplace, you know, at your sporting uh, grounds, you know, junior footy, hockey. Talk about it. Talk to other parents. You know, the, the great escape, travelling from here to wherever. It, it's not going to be viable. There's not going to be – and you know what? If you come across a charging station uh, on the side of the road, it's probably going to be diesel-powered. Mm, yeah. You know, so uh, <laughs> there's irony in itself. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, agreed. Can you imagine, like, going to Exmouth, towing your boat up to Exmouth? Like, so many thousands of West Australians do this time of the year. They tow their caravan and, and boat up to Exmouth. Like, I mean, that's just not a not a viable option in, in an EV. On in, in not even the next 50 to 100 years, I wouldn't think that that's a, a viable option. I, I should have been reading through these notes um, while we were recording this, but um, where I brought up the, um, the uh, dangers of um, 
the EV versus the uh, internal combustion-powered vehicle. So petrol fires burn at approximately 260 degrees Celsius. So uh, a little over two and a half times what your kettle boils at, right? EV batteries burn at over 10 times that temperature, approximately 2,700 degrees Celsius. Um, You know, that's just... I mean, can you imagine being trapped in a car with one of those batteries frying underneath you? No. Um, There is no metal that I know of that, that would, you know... And then you've got the fumes that you're dealing with as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I'm not really comfortable with, uh, you know, putting my family in, in something like that. Mm. Uh, and, you know, we see suppression of a lot of this stuff in the media. Um, I think that if this does, if this transition does happen, and, you know, it's going to get to the point where they can't hide this. You know, people will die. Yeah. Um, and you can't just say that it was a motor vehicle accident. It's going to be an EV-specific accident. Mm. So I think it's important that when this starts to happen, if we don't manage to stop it, if we don't manage to push the focus over to mining, right? And, you know, I'll, I'll just make another point here with regards to mining. Um, if we manufactured steel in Australia rather than sending the gas and the iron ore to China and then buying the steel and sending it back to Australia, we would go a long way to reducing the carbon dioxide footprint. We would go a long way to saving the planet because we have the natural gas and we have the coal and all the other minerals that we need, the the manganese in Australia, and we have the iron ore here. So to build a steel manufacturing plant in the northwest makes absolute perfect sense, right? Right now, we've got these huge iron ore-carrying ships that run on bunker oil. Now, bunker oil is the bottom of the barrel when it comes to oil. They actually need to heat it to get it through the pipes to get it into the engine. So when you see these ships rolling out of port, um, they're running on, you know, pretty clean fuel, once they get out of eyesight, they switch over to the bunker oil and there's basically columns of black soot coming out of the chimney stacks. Now, there's been some efforts by the Maritime uh, you know, Association or whatever they call themselves to reduce the emissions of these boats because it is having a negative effect on the oceans. But they're talking about the sulphur content. Mm. They're not talking about the CO2. Yeah. If you saw how much CO2 those boats pump into the atmosphere, you'd be astonished. If we made the steel in Australia, we'd be, you know, effectively halving yeah. um, the amount of CO2 that, that it's giving out by the boats because the boats would then be carrying finished product steel yep. to China for their manufacturing. And on top of that, it'd be providing Australians with jobs. Mm, yep. You know, we, we could cut down on the mining and get back into manufacturing rather than sending the the raw ingredients offshore and then buying them back at, at a, you know, greatly increased cost as a finished product. Yeah, yeah. And I think, I think policies like that make a lot more sense than 
you know, saying Putin's doing us a favour. I mean, that's the most uh, ridiculous statement I've ever heard. I'm sure it was in jest and I'm sure it was uh, sarcasm. You can find the clip on yeah. on, on uh, uh, the internet and he was, you know, he, he didn't look like he was joking when he yeah. said it. Yeah, okay. All right, Simon. Well, look, that, that brings this one to an end. Perfect timing, actually. You're right on, right on time. Um, so for those of you that have watched this podcast, I, I urge you to share it, as Simon said. Uh, tell your friends about it. Um, yeah, repost it, reshare it on Facebook if you can. Look at the numbers yourself. Do the maths yourself. Have a look at the consumption per kilometre and compare it to the CO2 emitted uh, in each state from power generation. Uh, if we if we switched everyone over to EV, all that would happen is our electricity CO2 uh, em, uh, emissions would go up and they would go up by more than than what mm. the car emissions are. Yeah. But, yeah, send – and if you have any questions, uh, email, email us, uh, info at talkandpower.net or send us a message on Facebook as well, or go to our website. We've got a Contact Us page there. And I can send you through. If you have any questions about how we come up to the numbers, send a, send a message through. I can send you through the numbers. If you disagree with the numbers or you think we're grossly incorrect, let us know as well. 100%. We're not here to say that we're not scientists. I'm not a scientist. Um, but we've we've done the, the maths on face value and believe that, you know, what we've been presented – um, is is dubious to say the least. And, so, and you know, one thing I'd like to say is that from our many many years of being involved in motorsports, one thing that we both do very very well mm. is crunch <laughs> numbers. Yep. Because yep. everything that we've played with in the past, we've had to sit down and work out the maths mm. to make it. You know, to the point now where we can basically predict what's going to happen before yep. we even start the project. Mm. Um. And these numbers are out there. You need to look. You need to look hard. Mm. And that's the other thing. If it's not, if it's not as obvious as what we're saying it is, why aren't the numbers that easy to find? Yeah, that's right. You know, and why is there so many discrepancies between? You know, I mean, they're, they're two of the major national bodies, mm. and their numbers are, are different, and they're not a little bit different. They're way different. Mm. And yeah. then you've got the climate council saying the transport's number two, when that's one thing they do agree on. It's definitely not number two. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yes. So, yeah, share it around. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, this episode, if you're listening to us on uh, on the podcast or on the radio, you can watch it on YouTube as well. There's a video there as well. It's exactly the same podcast, but you can watch us as well. So go back there, have a look. Uh, also on 88.5 FM every Saturday morning from 8.30 to 10. All right, Simon, thanks for coming in. Greatly appreciate it. Apologies again for the coughing, but I think this is a very important subject. Yep. And uh, I had to come in and be part of this, um, even though I'm not feeling the best, because we need to get the word out there. Mm. We need to act on this before it's too late. Yep. If we don't do anything about this, it's going to be a catastrophe and we're all going to suffer. And I don't want my family or anyone else's family to suffer because some politician was getting a backhander in a back room somewhere. Mm.
We need to put an end to all this rhetoric, and the truth needs to come out. The truth is out there. Yep. All right. Thanks, Simon. Thanks for coming in. We'll catch you in a couple of weeks' time. Talk and Power, your motorsport and motoring radio show. Now on 88.5 FM, the valley comes alive. And podcasting across iTunes and talkandpower.com.au.